Hey everyone, it's Jordan Angeli. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, October 21st. Prior to the interview with Maurice Adu, Charlie and I sent a message of support to Daryl Grove, the founder and co-host of The Total Soccer Show, and someone I worked with on MLS Assist podcast. Diagnosed with colorectal cancer in January 2019, Daryl entered hospice care on Sunday evening and passed away over the night on Friday. Sorry, guys, this is hard. It's a sad, sad time. Combining his passion for the game with podcasting, Daryl was a treasure voice in our soccer community and leaves a legacy that will live on forever. We ask that you consider a donation to the Team Daryl Grove page on GoFundMe to help Daryl's family through this time. We send our strength and love to them, his Total Soccer Show co-host Taylor Rockwell, their listeners, and all those who were touched by Daryl's work. Daryl, I believe, is now in a better place. And I can just see him hovering over his beloved Wolves team, watching them compete for every game for eternity. Daryl, thank you so much. We love you. And I hope that everybody thinks of you and it's ingrained on our heart. Welcome, everybody, to the Total Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daryl Grove. You'll live on with us forever. This is crazy. This is absolutely insane. Such at a loss for words. I mean, I'll find them, don't worry. Do I like playing against adversity? Man, I just like playing, period. I'm just I'm shocked and I'm so proud of our guys, man. Unbelievable. Putting the crest on every single time means something to me. This is U.S. Men's National Team goalkeeper Zach Steffen, and you're listening to the U.S. Soccer Podcast. What's up, everybody? We're back for another episode of the U.S. Soccer Podcast. And this week, we welcome someone Charlie knows really well. I'm not even going to joke about it. Knows him really well. U.S. men's national team midfielder, current Fox Sports soccer analyst, Marisa Du. Yes, yes. What a wonderful guy. We're going to have an awesome interview. But before we get to that, we have a few things to cover. Mm -hmm. More American soccer history was made in Europe on Tuesday when a record five U.S. men's national team players appeared in UEFA Champions League on the same day. Five. five. Christian Pulisic, Serginho Dest, Tyler Adams, Gio Reyna, and Ethan Horvath combined for a landmark day in the Champions League. And it wasn't just that they got on the field, Charlie. We saw Gio Reyna come off the bench to provide another picture-perfect assist to Erling Holland for Dortmund's lone goal at Lazio. He's incredible. And we also saw Ethan Horvath come back from conceding an unfortunate own goal to make two really big saves down the stretch and see Club Bruges grab a late equalizer. And I think if, if you've seen uh, what, whether it's Club Bruges, whether it's some of uh, Ethan's teammates putting out on social media, he was really emotional after the match. Mm. He was moved because, you know, to be in Champions League, your team scores, you give up an own goal. And that feeling you have as a keeper, but to rebound, believe in yourself, and then they get the game winner. They were all chanting his name. Uh, it was it was one of those moments where you can watch a player and you, you can feel yeah. for him and, and feel how how much it meant to him. Yeah, it, it's really amazing to see so many young players performing for big club clubs on that stage. And it's definitely something we're going to pick the brain of Mo about during this podcast because he's a guy who's played there. So can't wait for you guys to hear that as well. You got that right. And, and out in Colorado, 
the U.S. Women's National Team camp got underway this week. That's why we don't have MC with us, uh, you know, uh, before before we bro- broadcast this this podcast. But it's the first national team camp held by U.S. Soccer since the COVID pandemic, and of course, there are some added precautions for safety. But all in all, everyone has really embraced the protocols and just been excited to be back on the pitch. So we're looking forward to checking in on camp and getting a report as it wraps up next week. And as lovers of the beautiful game and the podcast medium, we have some very, very sad news about someone in the soccer podcasting world. Daryl Grove, who who is the co-host and the founder of the Total Soccer Show, someone who uh, basically started um, the U.S. soccer podcast, uh, podcasting about our game in, in, in this country and getting people to talk about the sport and, and do it in, in an organic, fun way. Um, you know, he, he's been battling colon cancer since January of 2019. And on Sunday night, we learned that Daryl uh, entered hospice care. Yeah, since um, this is going to be emotional for me because I work with Daryl. Um, he helped me launch a podcast with MLS Assist on Total Soccer Show. So Daryl and Taylor, who are the co-hosts of Total Soccer Show, they started in 20, uh, 2009 and they have poured their hearts and souls into this show. And I think the thing that is really um, what I've noticed with everybody talking about Daryl right now is um, this is a guy who's going to live on forever and how many people he brought to the game here in the United States. So um, I got a chance to meet him uh, once at the convention last year and uh, what you hear and who he is on the podcast is exactly who he is in real life. He is a loving man. He loves the game and he loves people a lot. So um, I'm just really grateful that I know Daryl. And uh, I think we can all say that we're just uh, sending him his, our best right now and all the love from the soccer community in the U.S. And just a big thank you for all he has done. Um, and we got to get he's a big Wolves fan. So we got to figure out a way get some kind of wolves interaction. 100%. We're we're going to, we're going to push for Daryl. You know, we're thinking about you, Daryl. And we also want to send our strength and love to Julia uh, Dole in her recovery from heart surgery, a goalkeeper with the U S under 20 U S women's national team. Julia was diagnosed with a rare and serious heart condition that has forced her to medically retire from soccer at the age of 19. Um, you know, Julia, it's hard to hear. You, you will always be part of the U S soccer family. Always, yeah. um, know always. that we're here from you. We're, you know, we're, we're always going to be um, thinking about you, um, continue to stay strong, stay positive, And we wish you the best of recoveries. Yeah. That's the thing about the U S soccer family, right? Once you've played in the teams, you're always a member of it. No matter what I saw Lauren holiday reached out to her, Lauren, someone who went through a lot of, um, heart surgeries herself during her youth. And then later on in her career, um, I'm sure for from Lauren, but, um, it's never easy to transition from something like that into what we're going to be talking about today. But I really do think you guys are going to enjoy this conversation we had with Mo Adu. Uh, he's fun. He's funny. He is so smart. And we got some good stories coming your way. So here he is, Maurice Adu. All right. Welcome to the U.S. Soccer Podcast, Mo. What's going on? How are you? I'm good. Uh, as good as you can be in this climate and with you know all the madness going on around us. But yeah, I'm good. I'm enjoying some time at home, spending some time with my son, watching yeah. him grow up and develop and enjoying Champions League being back. What has dad duty consisted of during this time for you? You know what it consists of, man. A lot of, a little <laughs> bit of everything. Uh, these past couple of days, actually, this is going to be kind of graphic. He had a little bit of, little, 
little rash on on his bottom side. So dealing with the cries and the pain and all that. But no, dad duty is great, man. Um, like I said, just having a chance to wake up with him, put him to bed, be there for every single moment of the day, not having to travel as much has been great. Mm -hmm. uh, just watching him grow, watching him learn how to walk and just figure out life and navigate all that. But now that he's walking and pretty much running at this point, we're having to like really step up our safety preparedness game. And, you know, Charlie, you prepared me for some of this stuff, conversations yep. <laughs> that we've had before. So now all that's coming to fruition and just, but I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. It's a learning curve. There's challenges, but I'm enjoying um, fatherhood for sure. Well, he said he's walking and running. So, I mean, he's kicking a soccer ball. Am I right? Oh, he was kicking a soccer ball before he was walking. I had that ball <laughs> okay. before he knew what it was. He didn't realize his feet were kicking it, but I had his foot. I had his left foot actually kicking it. So I was going to say, we're all smart enough to know. Teach him that left foot early, uh -huh. right? Exactly. <laughs> You don't agree, Charlie? No, no. You stick with the right, and then you, and then you, <laughs> grad, you, you gradually you move over to the left. But uh, mm. you know, for you, Mo, what what's retirement been like for you? How how have you transitioned into the post playing career? Yeah, retirement for me has been well similar to you in the sense that I transitioned into the media side of things. But uh, you know, retirement came for me at a time where maybe. I didn't want it to come to an end, you know, but I was forced into it because of injuries. And I tried for as long as I could to try to overcome those injuries, but it got to a point where it was just, you know, one too many and I couldn't get over that hill. So I was fortunate that, that I had done some interviews in the past or just done some different media things in the past to where I had some connections in that space. And, you know, a good friend of mine reached out to me as he saw me going through rehab and trying to recover and was like, Hey, you know, what do you think about doing TV? Um, you know, just from seeing some of the stuff you've done before, which was minimal, but, and also just hearing you talk and knowing you, I think you'd be a good fit for this role. And at the time I was, I was like, eh, nah, like, let me just, I'm going to play. I'm still going to play for another five years or so. So just let me play. Don't worry about all that stuff. And as I said, as, as things started to become a little bit more clear that that wasn't going to be a reality for me, you know, I said, you know what, let me go ahead and explore this. And it just kind of happened from there. I went and did a couple little test shows or you know test runs where it was pretty choppy <laughs> and and I wasn't I wasn't too pleased with the the turnout of it but you know the some of the feedback I got was look that's how it starts off you're going to get better as you get more reps and I just committed myself to it dove straight in and was fortunate to to get a couple of opportunities whether it's working with Fox and covering you know MLS Liga MX a couple other things national team as well and then also getting a chance for the prior to this year, the two years leading up to that doing Champions League. So it's been a it's been an interesting transition. Um but it's allowed me to stay within the sport while also having the flexibility to still explore other things as well. Yeah, it's crazy how when you look at all three of our careers, a lot of similarities with the injuries and then watching the game from a different perspective and being able to communicate that in a different way. The thing that sticks out to me, you mentioned you've been watching a lot of Champions League games. And I just have to know what that experience was like, not only working on Champions League games, but you got to work with your two guys, Stu Holden and Tim Howard, former U.S. men's national team players as well. How cool is that to bring uh, all of that camaraderie and that brotherhood into to a different outlet with that media work that you're doing. Yeah, the hope was that, you know, our our friendship, our relationship translated on on screen, right? You want that to come through. You don't want to seem stiff and robotic. You want to bring some of your personality out and let that show on camera. So I hope that that's how it translated, but 
and honestly, it was for me, it was it was educational because Stu's been in in this role for numerous years now and similar trajectory to us. Like he, his career ended because of injury. So having a chance to pick his brain and, and learn and just understand some of the pain points that he went through as he transitioned into the media side of things was helpful for me, but working in that environment was great. Tim, you talked about Tim, you talked about Stu, Steve Nash was a part of the crew as well. And, and Kate Abdo. So I was working with people who have experience in the game, people that I've known for a while and all of that just helped to make it a, a much more comfortable setting for me, especially as it was one of my first roles in the TV space. Mo, uh, like, like we, we've spoken to a number of, uh, you know, the, the black people of color uh, players that have come through the podcast just on the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, how has that kind of played a part in your life? Uh, you know, how has it influenced uh, how you parent, um, you know, what you, what you, how you, you know, talk to friends, uh, just uh, the, the, the rules and, 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 uh, you know, laws that that have kind of worked against people of color in this country uh i mean in all honesty charlie and you know you and i've had conversations about this before and long-standing conversations but i you know i grew up in in a environment to where things happen around me and because they happen so frequently you almost they don't affect you you know they don't have as much impact on me because I'm, I was taught to have tough skin and taught to be able to adjust and, and adapt to these certain things. And so I think the biggest change for me in this current climate is the fact that I have a son. And, you know, as things are happening now, this is going to be stuff that's going to be talked about in textbooks from, you know, years, years in the, uh, in the future. And my son's going to learn about this, whether it's in school, whether it's through social media, whether he's still living in this current climate, and he's going to have questions for me, you know, like that what was, well, what did you do? How did you react? How did you respond? What was your role? And in previous years, you know, I may have done things here or there, but I haven't been as active as maybe I, I probably should have been. And I think having a son now has forced me to say, you know what, I need to be more active. I need to be more vocal. I need to, to do different, to do things in different ways to, to make an impact because, you know, the world that he grows up in, I want it to obviously be different than the one that I've, that I've gone through and I've lived in. Uh, is there, are there going to be certain things that are probably still going to be similar? Yes. But if there's ways that we can impact change, if there's ways that we can educate people, if there's ways that we can from the outside chain, or excuse me, from the inside change how things are run from a systemic or a systematical standpoint. I think it's important that we do that and we continue to push back. We continue to fight for equality across the board, um, not just in sport and society in general. I think there's a lot that has to change, but it starts from all of us, one, recognizing that that's the issue, that there are issues, two, being active about it, and then three of the people in power, them also taking the initiative to step up and try to, to try to do their part to enact change as well. One of the things you mentioned there is just you and what you can do. And I think that is a really powerful thing is taking initiative, right? Yourself. And, um, I am curious when you were growing up, who were the people that influenced you? Did you have role models in the game that inspired you that you, no matter who you were, you could continue to be a, a player in professional leagues or on the men's national team are you are you talking about just domestically or just broad scale i i think anywhere so but, uh i mean one of my like my hero in sports was michael jordan right um for various reasons but uh within soccer yeah I, I, when i when i saw um well closer to me in age guys like demarcus beasley gucci and Ye, when i saw them have success in europe and for me, from a playing standpoint, that's something that I aspire to do. I grew up an Arsenal fan, so all of my 
all of my memories from a yeah rep you know you know how it is <laughs> gunners but i grew up and that was those were the teams that was the team that i followed the most was arsenal so seeing success in europe and and dreaming of that i so i attached myself and i aligned myself with people who i thought who looked like me one who i could draw comparisons to um and that's who I kind of use as my as my focal points. I was like, well, if they can do that, then then why can't I? And then when you take it to the national team, and you see guys like, of course, you take it back even further. Goes like guys like Kobe Jones and him doing what he's doing for Galaxy as well, which is you know just up the street from here. So uh, just having those different reference points of guys who look like you, I think it makes it a little bit easier to feel that attachment and feel like what your dream is can actually become a reality. Hmm. And you you say that the dreams becoming reality. I remember being a kid looking at the Wheaties box, man, Olympics one day. And in 2009, uh, 2008, we're at the Olympics together. Yeah. You know, and I want to get into you being one of the leaders of our team. You know, you were the captain of the group in qualifying. Um, you you led us. Uh, we We believed in you and you, you were playing a, an unfamiliar role, might I say, uh, at center back. Um, what do you remember about the buildup to the games? I remember, first of all, I remember, I mean, what a hell of a group we had, you know, and every time I look back on it, it's probably like the one, the one pain point um, of my career, because I felt like that team, we could have accomplished so much more. And we were, I mean, this close to doing it, but just looking at the, the personnel of that group, those are some of the guys you included or some of the guys that I'm still closest to to this day, which I think speaks to what we had within that group. It wasn't just a team. It was a bond of, of brothers, guys. I know you hear that pretty, it's become pretty cliche within sports, but it truly was what epitomized our group was that we were such a close knit group of guys on and off the pitch, but leading up to the games, I mean, the, the banter at training, the, the banter at, at the different meals, all that, um, everything was just, it was special for us and just little details. I mean, like we'd be in the tunnel and, <laughs> and just like the way we would get each other like amped up for the game. Like what? But, yeah. Like give us a little example yeah. of what that might've been. <laughs> Good. I need to hear this. So it's we, been a while uh, since I've heard this. I can't even remember why we started doing this. I think it, it, <laughs> it stemmed from, so a lot of the guys on our, on our team, under 23 team had already made their debuts with the national team, with the full team as well. So I, I'm, I think it stemmed from like one of the games when we played against Mexico and we were in the tunnel lined up side by side with them. And, you know, they're just kind of like looking at each other. and bah, 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 bah. So like, I don't know why we just started adopting that. We started doing that before games and it became our thing um, <laughs> to this day. Like I still joke around with that. He does do a joke, you know, so it's something that's oh kind of stuck with our group of players uh, that I, don't, I think that's where it started from, to be honest. Would you all say it at the same time? Yeah, One person it, would start it, it, and then it would just, just like, all yeah. just like just rattle off. down just the table. Just a loud commotion of bamo, 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 yeah, bamo, bamo. And teams are looking at us like. <laughs> I think it was like qualifying when we're playing against like Honduras and like, you know, these teams, they, they try uh -huh. to, it's like a, a mental warfare. Mental war game, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. like, all right, guys, let, let's, let's psych them out. Let's show that we pumped up. And so we started doing it back. And uh, yeah. It, <laughs> Yeah. Did that continue from the Olympics, like throughout when you guys, whenever that group of players were with whatever team, was that something you guys kind of did with each other or was that kind of unique to that Olympic team? Yeah, I think it was more so we, I mean, we, 
would do it like here and there, but it wasn't as, it didn't have the same effect because, you know, within yeah. the full team, there was a lot, there were guys that were older, guys that were younger. So didn't have the same kind of, yeah. it didn't resonate the same way. With, whereas with our Olympic team, it was special to just that group. Like cool. if you talk to anyone from the Olympic team, they all know like what that, what that meant, what it stood for and just how it became a part of who we were. For you, if you look back on that tournament, you said it was difficult, but what what's the best memory you have from that tournament? The best memory? You know, it might even be the best memory for me might be off the field. I think having a chance to go into opening ceremonies before that, we were in this, like, I don't even know what it was, like a big auditorium, and it was basically all the U.S. players, so across sports, so, you know, guys like... LeBron's in there, Kobe's in there, um, Michael Felt, you know, so it's a, it's across the board, all the American athletes. So just having a chance to kind of be in there and, and you're looking around at guys that you shouldn't be in awe because you're also a professional athlete, but you know, you have, <laughs> you're still a young kid, 22, 23 years old. And you're looking around like, yeah, these are, okay, yeah. this is we're we're in the room with some big hitters right now. And it, it was, it was kind of, uh, it was a special moment, especially because some of them actually knew who we were. So having those kind of conversations across sports to where we could appreciate some similarities and then also some differences that we experienced within mm -hmm. our different sports. I thought that part was really cool. And then also, like I said, walking out during opening ceremonies, like obviously playing in the Olympics and all the games and the means that they have are incredibly important, but walking out there and just appreciating the the beauty that that, ad, that event is, having a chance to see not only just the American players now, but all the athletes across across the, across the world that are there for the various different mm -hmm. sports, that celebration, that moment. Um, and then the other thing that I remember is it was hot. <laughs> yeah, it was so hot. He's not lying. It he was, not lying. I mean. And Mo yeah. is a sweater. Like, it, it can be Just like, like a, full jersey change at yeah, halftime. It, it could be like a cool 60 and Mo is going to be dripping, like dripping. <laughs> I, I roomed with this guy and in the room, the hotel room, he puts it at 88 degrees. It, it's like we're living in the rain. Yeah, not that look at that. It's, not it's that like hot. a rainforest. I come in there and, and you see the dense humidity in the room. Oh, and, and he's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's perfect in here. That's the kind of room nah. he lives in. It's literally a jungle. Uh, it wasn't so 80 like degrees. But, you know, <laughs> I like it a little bit warmer. Well, so yeah. you get used to the sweat. It just keeps you prepared for the sweat at all times. But this was a different kind of heat, though. This was like <laughs> humid. It was muggy. It was just like, as soon as you walked out of the hotel, instant sweat. Everybody. Oh, just me. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, just true. me. Yeah. I had a question about the opening ceremonies. This is like pre-Instagram and Snapchat, all the things that we document things with now. Were you a, a video camera guy walking around in the opening ceremonies? Because a lot of people do that, right? They have their cameras or their GoPros now. Uh, so, did you use any of those to capture yeah, it? Yeah, so they gave us, um, I don't even know if they still exist anymore, but it was like this little, like a basically a mini camcorder, but it was super narrow and like it almost looked like a cell phone a little bit thicker it was like what was oh, it called I remember Charlie, those. Flip cam or something or i don't remember what it was called but yeah i think it they was gave all of us that and so i use that i use that and i was recording all that stuff like on there then you'd have to go back and transfer it to your computer and yeah. i still have a bunch of pictures and files though from there i actually had a little digital camera too um so i have videos on that but also i use the, the little flip cam the most i just hired i hired Stu holden to to take all my photos <laughs> Wow. So yeah, he, he was my personal <laughs> photographer. Um, yeah. uh, you know, when you look back at the Olympics, there hasn't been a team to par participate in the Olympics in the men's uh, division since, since ours in 2008. 
looking at this potential group in 2021, because they had to postpone the Olympics this summer, what advice would you give them knowing the group that they could put together and knowing, you know, what, how we felt at the tournament in 2008, how we said, man, we're on the cusp of being a team that can really compete for the gold medal. That's how confident we were. And we were literally off by, you know, one fragile, uh, fragile, you know, uh, mistake, right? It's just one mistake that cost us a small, small mistake, um, you know, throwing an elbow, but, uh, you know, if you could just small, to, small mistake, it's a small mistake. If, if you could look, you know, the, at these guys in the face, what, what would you tell them? So what I would say is that it's different, right? Because you're right. This group of players, crazy amount of talent. Um, and you kind of salivate at the idea and the prospect of what this starting 11, it's actually hard to make a starting 11 because they have so much talent within that group, but whatever 11 you found, you decide to put on a pitch, it's going to be a group that you would imagine could, could compete for to be on a podium. But I, I think what's different between our group and their group is I think our group approached that and we recognized straight away, like how important this was because we were all at different points in our career as well, where some of us were still domestically trying to get to get to Europe. Right. So this was, we saw this as like a big stage, a, a stage to play our way into Europe. Uh, whereas a lot of this group now they're already playing their trades in Europe or at some of the biggest clubs in the world. So it's slightly different from that regard, but the ultimate goal of winning a medal, I think it's still there. And I think this is why they should feel even more com- uh, more confident because they're playing at some of the best clubs in the world. They're playing on some of the best teams in the world, playing Champions League week in and week out and actually playing significant minutes. I think there should never, there should be absolutely no lack of confidence within this group. Mm. And I think they should look at this and say like, we have a, a chance to really do something special. You know, no team, we'd be the first American team to win a gold. I'm not even just talking about getting a medal. I'm talking about they have a chance to legitimately win a gold medal, mm-hmm. depending on what team we put out there. Um, and I think they should pr- prioritize that. Obviously, I think in the minds of the soccer world, to a certain extent, the Olympics, obviously are second to the World Cup. And because of the age restriction, it kind of deflates, it kind of takes away some of the luster. But I think they should disregard that completely. Um, and if it's up to them and they can feel the best 11 possible, we do that and we go out there and we really try to make an impact and we try to win a medal. Yeah. I love that advice because that's something we've heard too, Charlie and I, from different people who've played abroad in Europe is when you're taking that next step. And for these players, that might be just a different step, right? Uh, playing in the Olympics and winning a gold is a next step, but to be confident in who you are and your abilities is a real fine line, but it also also can be a deal breaker when you're playing in a big game like that or going and playing abroad, which you know a lot about yeah it can be and the last sorry I, I, the last thing i would just want to add to that too is another difference is that you know um a lot of these kids whether they're 17 jill rain is going to get his i'm sure he's going to get a chance with the full team soon they're at such a young age and they've already bypassed that that intermediary step of the olympic team right and gone on to mm-hmm. the full team so that's another difference but um yeah, in terms of confidence that you were just talking about, there's there's no lack of confidence. There shouldn't be any lack or shortage of confidence within this group of players. They've they've achieved things that it took us a long time to even get to, and then even bypass that. I get always get asked about guys who played my position, so center mid. So I always get asked about guys like Weston and Tyler, and I just laugh because I'm like, these guys are leaps and bounds of beyond where where I was. You know, they've accomplished certain things at such a young age that their ceiling is so much higher. Um, and as long as they continue on the trajectory that they're on, as long as they stay mm-hmm. focused, they continue to grind. And they they both seem to have that mentality. Like I was most impressed with Tyler when I first saw him play 
because of what he had up here more so than what he did with the ball. Obviously, he was a talented player, but I was just impressed with his mentality. And Charlie's going to – I can see Charlie, like, starting to smirk because I yeah, was high he, on Tyler, like, he, super, he told super me, early He told on. me a year before uh, Tyler even played with the first team, he said, I, I ran into this kid, Tyler Adams. He's like, remember the name. <laughs> he, he was on New York Red Bulls too, and he just came out. He was kicking me. He was acting, you know. He just played with this confidence, this belief, this self belief, and he didn't respect anyone on the field. It was like he was going to go out and get it and and get everything mm. done. And he he just really impressed me with the way his ability. That. And I was like, okay, I'll be looking out for him. And and, it, and then you know I first saw him and I thought, okay, I, I can see the attitude, the chip on the shoulder he plays with. That he that he he goes into every tackle hundred percent. He covers a lot of ground. But I was like, where where is he going with this? The next time I see him, he's playing switch balls. He's getting box to box. He you know he's creating goals. He's scoring goals. I look at Mo. I say, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> but you, but you know what? But Charlie and, and with this younger generation, and I don't want to set the bar too high for them or or you know gas them up too much. But I see those same those same traits. Um, and when I watch them play with their respective clubs, I see those same kind of qualities that, that belief, like, I mean, Gio Reyna doing what he's doing at 17 years old, that doesn't, that's not normal, but that's, yeah. that's from a strong belief and yeah. it's not normal, but it's from normal. a, it's from a strong belief and a, and a sense of knowing who he is, knowing what he's good at, knowing, just having that confidence to get on the ball and say, all right, I'm running by this guy. I'm gonna put a ball in and, and Holland's going to score or, yeah, right. um, Weston going to Juventus, you know, I think, I think when that move happened, people were kind of questioning like, ah, whatever. But I look at it like this, like if a young German player, a young Argentinian player makes a move to Juventus at that age, is it a gamble? No. At that point, everyone's like, oh yeah, he has, he's a highly touted young, young player. So why is it different for a young American to go there? And I'm, I'm impressed with him making that, making that step, going there, getting some playing time. And I'm looking forward to watching him succeed there. I think that's, Go ahead, Charlie. Yeah, Mo, you talked about coming onto the Olympic scene, coming out of MLS, you know, looking at Europe, being like, this is where I want to play. I want to play Champions League. Well, you got drafted by Toronto FC, and then Glasgow Rangers comes in and purchases your rights. You go over to Europe. Uh, what do you remember when, when clubs from Europe started to show an interest in you? Man, you start getting gassed up a little bit. You start, you know, you start feeling yourself a little bit. Um, but... I also recognize that I also remember that you have to be able to separate. You have to just wait and you have to just bide your time. Right. And I say that in the sense that while I was at Rangers, I was linked with different clubs, but then if it doesn't materialize, you have to be able to, you know, have the mentality like, okay, I'm, I'm at this club until the next move happens. I'm at this club. I'm going to do well. I'm going to, I'm going to work. I'm going to do what I need to do to earn that next move. And when you start getting linked with different teams, whether it's you hear from your agent or you're reading it in the paper, you don't you don't read too much into your success until things happen. Um, but when the move to Rangers happened, when it first started, I first started getting wind of it. I was at the Olympics, actually, if you remember. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there before that, I had heard a couple of things about a couple of different teams. But like I said, they didn't materialize. So I heard Rangers and I was like, OK, yeah, well, let's just wait and see what happens. We were still trying to make a run in the tournament. We got knocked out. and. Then the flight, like literally we're about to board the flight and I get a call from my agent like, hey, um, Toronto and the league just accepted a bid from Rangers. So I was like, oh, it's go time. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's go time. And at the time, DeMarcus Beasley was there. So, you know, I was talking to him a lot and just trying to just get my bearings, figure out like what I, what I was walking into and making sure that I was going to be best prepared to 
to get there and try to, to try to get into the team straight away. But as we know, it doesn't always happen seamlessly. There were ups and downs and you learn from them and you improve from them. But uh, definitely an experience that was important for my career and, and kind of shaped my career. When you talk about that, there are adjustments, no matter what leap you're taking in your career, what next stage you're going to, what do you feel like was the most difficult in that adjustment to go play with Rangers, a really, not only a big club in Scotland, but a, a well-known club around the world? I think the biggest change for me there was when I left Toronto, I was, you know, I was viewed as one of the best players on the team. I had broken into the national team. You know, my name was like one of the first on the team sheet, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And then I go to Rangers and it's like, wait, I'm not starting. I'm not starting tomorrow. Like it's Friday. And then the game comes Saturday, you get the team sheet. My name's not on there. And then next week, wait, I'm not, I'm not in the, in the 18. So getting used to that and, you know, being able to say, okay, so I have another battle. I have another, this is my new goal. My new goal is to get into the team. When I get my opportunity, am I going to be ready for it, et cetera, et cetera. And that's hard. It's hard sometimes when you're a young kid and you're, you're used to having success to now have to readjust and, yeah. and reshape your mentality. But it was nothing that I wasn't up for. And I'm a fighter. And I was like, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get into that team. When I get into that team, I'm gonna stay in that team. And uh, it, it took it took time, but when it happened, it finally happened, and I was like, yeah. "All right, I'm not looking back." You score against city rivals Celtic in the derby. Everybody knows this. This is one of the top rivalries in world football. I get chills thinking about seeing the reaction from the fans after you score. I, I can't imagine the goosebumps uh, and, and the, the feelings that you had uh, internally. But help people understand the magnitude of this match. What do you recall from from that match day, your first rivalry, and what do you what do you recall from from that goal? So from that game, I remember actually I didn't start the game and I was annoyed about that. So I well, so I'd just come back from injury maybe two or three weekends before that, and was trying to work my way back in the team. Made a couple cameo appearances off the bench, all in anticipation of being ready to start for this game. So we get the team sheet for this game. I'm on the bench and I'm like, you know, a little bit annoyed, whatever, but. Same thing. I was like, this is a big game and I have to just, I know I'm going to play at some point and I need to make sure that I'm ready to play. And I come on actually. And my first touch, I actually score. Like it was a, <laughs> somehow the ball found its way to me at the top of the box. And I just hit it first time and I actually scored, but then they called it back. Cause I think Kenny Miller was offside or something, something happened. So whatever the games goes on back and forth, back and forth. And at this point in the table, I think we were, I think we were like maybe four points clear of, of Celtics. So if we lose this game, now it's a one point difference. If we win the game, it jumps to seven, which kind of makes it like, yo, we got this. So the game's important. If we draw, obviously five points, whatever. So it's not come down to the end of the game. It's still a nil nil. Everyone's kind of just chalking up as a draw. Cool. We'll settle for that. We'll still be five points clear. Corner kick comes in. Stoppage time. Kevin Thompson's corner. It's I remember scoring that goal. Um, I, I didn't realize how tired my legs were. I tried to sprint away from my teammates. They caught me within <laughs> seconds, like dogpiled me. 
And when I get up, I'm just looking around the stadium and I, you know, it's just pure pandemonium. You see people just hugging and jumping and celebrating. Mm. Um, and then there's the one section like directly opposite the goal that I scored. In, and that's where the Celtic fans are. And you just see them just quiet, heads down, head, heads in, uh, head in their hands and just depressed. And I mean, to this day, it's crazy. Like still get messages, still get that video sent to me all the time. People telling me, I think what's special about sports, you both can attest to this is you create moments, right? Like mm. you, the memories aren't just for you, they're for the fans as well. And fans attach to certain moments. They could tell you exactly where they were, exactly mm-hmm. who they were watching the game, what exactly what their reaction was. And to this day, I still get messages saying like, I fell down X amount of stairs or I was in the bar and I threw <laughs> this, this drink at this person or, or whatever their experience was. And I think that's what kind of really hones it in and makes it that much special. But to Charlie, to your point about what the rivalry is like, I mean, it's not it's not as bad to this to this day, but in you know history and the way the history of the clubs, you know, Celtic was predominantly a Catholic club, Rangers a Protestant club, so it takes it beyond just sport into religion, and we all know the the tension and clashes and warfare that comes from from battles with uh, due to religion. So yeah, and then it's an inner city rivalry as well, but heated. It's a yeah. true derby. Like it is that that's so fun and cool. That moment. I'm sure once you got out of that dog pile, you really got to experience what it was like with the crowd. But I, I love that you get to recall that. And one of the things I feel like is really relevant right now is we got to talk champions league because you, my friend have been able to play in those types of games. And not only that, but you've drawn a lot of praise for your performance. When you played Manchester United, you became just the fourth American to score a goal when you played Valencia. I got to know because I, that's his best goal of his career too, by the way. I didn't mention that. Sorry. Scored a goal in a competition. (laughs) Um, but, uh, what's it like to play in those games? That's what you dream of as a kid. When I was talking about um, my experience watching Arsenal, you know, I was watching Arsenal and and the other competitions or games that I saw the most of were Champions League games. So from a young age, I think anyone who has aspirations in the game, especially to play in Europe, you part of that is to play in Champions League. That's the pinnacle. That's where you get to play against the best of the best and test yourself against the best of the best. And I remember my first year there, I missed out because of injury. So a little bit upset about that. Actually, I'm sorry, my second year, the first year we didn't qualify, but my second year I missed out because I got injured at the end of the first year. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to make sure I'm fit. There's no way I'm getting, I'm missing out again. And so when it came, I was, I couldn't have been more hype or more like amped up for that game. And you talk about Manchester United. Yeah. We went to Old Trafford and we drew against them, but just that, that experience playing at Old Trafford and, um, my brother and one of my best friends were actually at that game too. So them getting oh, a chance cool. to, to witness that there and taking that whole experience, it made it that much special, that much more special. And you give me chills. <laughs> and then the playing against Valencia, the goal against Valencia, that was such a weird game because I'm glad you guys didn't say it, but I don't care. I'll say it. I scored for us and I also scored our own goal in that game too. So, you know, at, at a young age, you take all that in, you take it all in stride and, in that same game, I hit the post, and I, I always joke about if I would have scored that, I would have taken the ball as a, as a hat trick. So, but it's, it's <laughs> seeing how much those games mean to your fans, and and what a Champions League night is like walking out, hearing that anthem. It just takes you back to your childhood, and you get goosebumps just hearing that music yeah. play. Well, Mo, that year you played in Champions League 2010, you and Jermaine were the only two Americans to play in the entire tournament. Just two Americans, you and Jermaine Jones. That's it. We're speaking to the one day after a record five, five Americans played. 
in, in the Champions League on the same day. Overall, this season, 10 Americans are eligible to participate, and eight of them have spent most of their development years in the United States. So they're all, 20, uh, they're all 25 or younger, which is also uh, incredible. Um, how far do you think we've come as a country to develop some of these players, and, and how did we get there? Looking at, you know, we, qual- we failed to qualify in 2018, yet here we are today uh, with all of these youngsters who, who were primarily developed in the United States playing in Champions League. We've come a long way. Um, we've come a long way, and I say that, but I don't want to get too ahead of myself either. But I'm I'm incredibly encouraged by this young group of players because to have the audacity and the boldness to go to some of these big clubs, it'd be easy to, when you're linked with a big club, to maybe pivot and say, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere else first because I want to get playing time. But these guys have taken on the challenge of walking into Barcelona walking into Juventus, walking into Chelsea, Bayern Munich, Dortmund, the list goes on and on and on, which is crazy. The names that I've just rattled off right there. They've walked, they've walked into those, those locker rooms and said, I'm going to play. I'm not just going to be at this, at this club. I'm going to play. And so I think what they've done, one is they've accepted the challenge that, Hey, can Americans play, can Americans play soccer? Well, yeah, you're seeing that firsthand. Yes, they can play. Christian Pulisic, when he came back to, to Chelsea, was the best player for the team. Or when the when the season resumed, yeah. yeah, he was the best player by miles for their team. And so, and that's a big club. Chelsea's a big club. So when I look at this group of players. I'm incredibly encouraged. It's a sign of progress. I hope that this next wave is even more inspired because as I talked about before, I was inspired watching guys like Demarcus Beasley and that generation of players. And now and bees had a chance to play PSV semifinals champions league. So I was like, wow, this is, and then playing the world cup. I'm like, yo, this is crazy. <clears throat> so this group of young kids now who are watching are watching their, their dream clubs, their Chelsea's. Well, there's an American there. They're watching their dream yeah. club and it's Juventus. Oh, there's an American. Then they're watching their dream club, Barcelona. There's an, so it's like, it's a different attachment and they're setting the bar even higher. And I hope this next generation of players as they're developing, they're watching and they're dreaming their, they're dreaming big because right. the bar has now been set. The bar has been raised. Um, the respect and the way people look at American players, I think is also viewed differently now too. More and more clubs are saying like, yeah, we can go to America and recruit. We don't have to just go to like South America or other parts of Europe. We can actually stop in North America and take a look and see what's happening in MLS and happening yeah. in these academies down there. So they're, they're um, a representation and, a, and um, an example of, the progress that we've made. And I think they're going to continue to push this progress even more uh, further Mm -hmm. forward. Yeah. I love that point that you made about when you look at those clubs, you see Americans, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. It's Um, crazy. Yeah. That was really well said. You you mentioned in there though, world cup, and we got to get to men's national team talk. I know we, we dipped into the Olympics, but we got to talk full team. Your first cap, you made your international debut for the U S against Switzerland on October 17th, 2007. So Charlie and I, I love to get everybody's like inside view about what that day was like from you from when you knew that it was going to happen to maybe even seeing what your Jersey looked like in the locker room and what that felt like. Yeah, it was, um, it was crazy because so that same, that camp, that was my first camp and there was a handful of us that all came into that same camp. I think it was like me. I want to say Josie, Freddie, a handful of us sites, Chris sites, like, so about five or six guys and we're all getting our first taste of what the national team, the full team is like the day before training, you know, you start going through 
possession and and working on like tactical stuff you start to get a glimpse of the lineup and you know i was in out of the out of the first team so in my mind i'm like all right cool that means that i'm going to play but not necessarily start so then the day comes and you know you you find out pregame meeting like okay this is lineup and i'm like okay like this okay it's uh it's go time but there's also a little bit of nerves you're like all right, I want to, because you you want to do well. You want to do well. You don't want this just to be like a brief cameo where you're just make you're playing and then you're not going to hear from me again for a good three, four years. You want to make an impact and a lasting impact. So, you know, you you do whatever your pregame routine is. Mine is just listening to music. Um, I used to have some plays on my phone of like old games and stuff like that. So I just, yeah, headphones on for sure. And I'm just listening to music and just watching old plays and reassuring myself and just, you know, getting myself mentally re- prepared for the game. Then you walk in the locker room and you see, you see your jersey. You see that it do on the back of the jersey, and you're just like, "Yo, this is, this is it right here." Like, I, of course, my family's back home and they're all watching the game. And uh, Charlie knows my mom; she's lunatic when it comes to to, to supporting real support. In our, <laughs> yeah, she's crazy. So I can only imagine what she was doing at home. Um, but then as soon as you get on the pitch, it's, you're anxious to get that first touch of the ball because that calms you down, right? You both can attest to that. That kind of gives you that that feeling. It kind of helps to erase the nerves. So I was just like anxious and buzzing around trying to get a touch on the ball because I knew that that would help me just kind of like calm down and just start playing my game. So when that first touch came, it was like, all right, like we're in a game. Let's just start competing. Let's try to figure out a way to win. So, but it was a it was an amazing experience. I was fortunate that I was amongst a group of guys, veteran players who you know, you hear stories of different teams, different countries, different generations where there's that disconnect where one generation is trying to hold on. They don't want the next generation to come through. And I was fortunate that I came into a team where that wasn't the reality. These guys welcomed me in, um, made sure I understood what it what it meant to be on, on the national team. You know, when you put on this jersey, this is what it's supposed to be like. This is what training needs to look like. This is what you need to do before training. This is what you need to do after training. And then obviously when you get on the pitch, same thing. Like this is what it it means to put on this, these colors. And so I was fortunate that I was in an environment like that. And I think that that set the bar, that set the tone for me going forward. Like, okay, every time I wear this color, these strips, either the certain values that I got to try to abide by, this is a certain standard I got to try to hit. And that was my motivation at that point. Yeah. Really quick. Cause you said, you said you listened to music. So I got to know what was, uh, what was on your pregame music hit oh, list. I, I mean, know that. this was Ooh, 2007. That was 2007. Bring it. Like, what were we listening to? But you know that you're not going to be able to think about it right now? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of Nelly. Yeah, whatever. So I'm I'm big R&B and hip-hop guys. So whatever, whatever, yeah. (laughs) Kanye West. I was thinking T-Pain. Like, that was in my brain. T-Pain, Kanye West, Lil Wayne. Yeah. Drake, for sure. But I'm trying to, yeah. Drake would have definitely been on there because at the time, I was playing in Toronto. So like I was. You were Drake. Yeah. I was, <laughs> was your Drake. man. Yeah. He was your man. Yeah. All right. He was your man. Okay. He, he love was it. your man's. I had to uh, know. I had to know. <laughs> All right. It's, it's, you're in your prime of your career. 2010. The year before you're featured on the cover of FIFA alongside Ronaldinho. And I'm going to leave out the other player because that, that's not important right now. Um, <laughs> The dream to participate in a World Cup came true for you, and it's South Africa. Describe that moment when you found out that you were selected to represent our country in the World Cup. This is the the, the thing we've been working uh, towards since we were kids. Man, so we were in camp, and 
we'd been there for, I don't know, maybe a couple weeks at that point, maybe 10 days. And the coaches are kind of saying like, Hey, we're going to be making decisions either tonight or tomorrow. I can't remember. So we're all like in our rooms and just kind of like nervous at that point. Obviously there's some people who aren't really nervous because they, it's a, it's a sure thing for them. I had just come back from injury, which seems to be a theme, <laughs> but I had just come back from injury. So was trying to get myself back into form, make sure that I was on on my way to South Africa. And I felt pretty confident. I felt good about, about how I played leading up to that as well as how I did in camp. But still there's that, there's that unknown, you know, you just don't know until you know. So I remember sitting in my room and they're like, yeah, we're going to call your room, blah, blah. So we get a call. They're like, Hey, can you come downstairs? And I'm like, all right, all right. Yeah, I'll come downstairs. You come downstairs and you go into this room and there, I think at that point there might've been like two other guys. And I'm like, what? I'm looking at them. I'm like, well, this, what are we, what are we doing here? Like, what's this? And like, I don't know. They're supposed to come down here. So then like, you know, your heart starts beating fast. Like, does this mean like you're one of the ones that's going to get cut? They're calling you down because they want to tell you like, Hey, you're not going to be here tomorrow type thing. And then you just start seeing more and more people come in and you're like, hold on, this is looking like more than, more than, more than seven people. I think they were cutting or so. And at that point is when it kind of like really just hit me like, yo, this is, this is where, you know, and I obviously excitement, like emotions, because as Charlie said, this is what you dreamed of as a kid. This is a pinnacle in how you view this sport, right? Having a chance to represent your country at the highest stage at the, at the biggest stage, um, 24 years old like it was I had just like I said I had just come back from injury and so there was still there was somewhat a doubt in my mind although I felt confident there was always that little bit of doubt as well so having that accomplishment at that point in time it was unbelievable but then at the same time you had to turn around and you knew that there were seven guys that were going to be cut and so you obviously you have like empathy and you feel for them because this they're not going to get the opportunity to experience this you know I remember I remember um, Sasha was one of those guys and just having a conversation with him and Eddie Johnson as well. And, you know, just having that, that sense of like, damn, I wish they could have become with us as long. I mean, with us as well to experience that. But, um, so it was a little bit of a, obviously yeah. the highs outweigh the lows because just from a personal standpoint, that, that was, that was my dream ever since I was a kid. You, you dribble around the house when you're a kid, like, Oh, and Mo gets the ball and it's the 90 or it's the 85th minute of the world cup. The U.S. is down one nil, or the U.S. is it's nil nil. He had a chance to win the game, and he shoots and he scores. You know all those kind of moments, yeah. and now you're like, wow, I actually have a chance to fight against Nigeria. Maybe... Here he goes, the Super Eagles. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so now I have a chance to actually maybe potentially fulfill that. So that was, it was incredible, incredible. Charlie just mentioned Nigeria, and your parents are Nigerian. Was it different, and maybe a, a little bit more special to you to be able to play that World Cup in Africa? For sure. For sure. And the, the, again, the fact that my mom and my brother were able to come there and, and take in the scenes and be a part of that and me be able to share that experience. My family is very, are play a big role in my, in my career, right? They're the ones who have kind of kept me humble throughout the course of my career. They've been my biggest fans, my harshest critics. Um, but to be able to have my only world cup that I attend be in Africa, like it was the beauty that, that surrounds that I can't even put into words and just the different elements of different sites that you get to see there. Um, so many moments that, you know, stand, I remember we were in a, one of our compounds was kind of away, like in a, 
I wouldn't say jungle type area, but similar to that. And I remember we'd wake up and there'd be like monkeys knocking on our window and knocking on our door and stuff like that. And there was one game we were, oh, I forget which game it was. I think it was the second game of the tournament. So maybe Slovenia. But we're on the way to the game. And next thing I know, we're like the bus just stops for like a significant amount of time. Like, what's what's going on? Everyone's like, yo, shh, shh. We're like all looking out the windows and there's like three big elephants that are like just kind of making their way by. And, you know, obviously we're not, we can't do anything. We're at their, we're at their mercy. Like, so everyone's just trying to like, just be calm and chill and until that all passes and then we continue on our way. But those are just like, you know, things that happen casually, uh, casually just happen. Right. Like that you don't even, that you would never anticipate whatsoever that you, if you talk to someone else, they're probably like, that never happened to us. But like, that was part of my experience there. And so I saw a lot of beauty in that tournament and just the experience was incredible for me. Well, you brought up Slovenia, the second match of the group stage, the team's down two zero. you come back, you get substituted in and you get the game tying goal. It's two, two. Or three two. Three. It would have been, been the winning goal. It would yeah. have been the game winner. It's two two, but you would have got the third. You get a hold of a volley, it finds the back and everyone's like, You I see your face. You're like, I I've done it. I'm an instant legend. Here we go. <laughs> Foul called. I know you're confused. Everyone else is looking around like who where'd that foul come from? So kind of explain uh what what transpired from that moment. Yeah, I don't really have an explanation because your boy Koulibaly just like just robbed me. But I do remember so me and Benny came in at halftime and we're we're down two nil. We're sitting here watching the game in the first half. Like, what what is going on right now? Like this this ain't us. This is not this is not a real representation of what our team is capable of. And so at halftime, he uh him Benny and I are both on the pitch warming up while the team's inside. And I remember we just looked at each other like Dude, let's just try to change this game. Like we have nothing to lose at this point. If we lose four 0 we lose whatever. It's a loss. So let's just try to let's try to do something. You know, whether whatever that looks like, however that manifests itself. Let's just try to impact this game. And the rest of the team also must have had the same conversation inside because we came out and we were just in a different a different group, a newly inspired, a freshly inspired group. Mikey scores this. I don't even know how you describe that goal. That toe poke that just yeah. lost over the keeper, and I'm like. What? How you? I don't. Yeah, you know. I don't know how you did that, but that was different level than landing scores from the most obscure angle I've ever seen in my life. Um, and so the game just shaped itself, and it it just was like, hey, this is it's kind of written for us now. Like we, there's definitely a game winner in a, in there for us. I didn't think it was going to be me, and we get that set piece. Normally, I'm one of the guys who sits back to kind of put out fires, a little bit more defensive minded on those set pieces letting, you know, the bigger guys get forward and whatnot. And so I'm at the top of the box and I'm kind of just moving around, just casually walking side to side, kind of just peeping what my, my defender defender is doing. And he's not, he's not paying me much mind at all. He's kind of just passive. So I'm like, all right, me and Benny just had this combo. So I'm gonna take a gamble. So I kind of time my run with Landon's run as he's, appro- as he's approaching the ball, make my way through the box pretty effortlessly because like, like I said, my guy's not really marking me or paying me much mind. I don't know how the ball got through everybody, but somehow it gets through everybody, finds its way, hits my left foot, back of the net. Landon Donovan to take the free kick. And it's into the back of the net. But the goal is going to be disallowed. It won't cut. Adu thought he'd scored a winner for the USA. It is ruled out. 
Well, again, the referee, where is it? There's no offsides. Is he calling a foul? That is very harsh. Well, if harsh was, indeed. John, if there was a player offside, it wasn't Adu, and he was the only one who was active. I cannot believe that call by the referee. That is horrible. And at that point, I, to Charlie's point, I thought, this is it. This is... I wrote this as this was in my script from a kid as a child. Like, you know, I, yeah. I've been dreaming of this moment and it's finally here. So I take off. I don't even know what I thought my celebration was going to be. And I knew our, my parents were, or my mom and my brother were in the corner right there closest to us. So I just like started sprinting that direction and was going to just freestyle some kind of celebration. And then I hear a whistle and I'm like, what? Like, yeah, you're like, I didn't hear that. I, I know nah, I didn't hear that, that. Can't be real. There's no way he's calling anything against us. And it wouldn't make sense to call a penalty because we scored. So, so that just gets cut short. I'm jogging back. We're all kind of yelling at him, arguing with him. And, and yeah, I mean, I think at that point it kind of clicked for me, like, hey, you probably should get back because if anything happens, it's going to be on you compared, <laughs> compared to anybody else. So I just jogged back while other guys are still arguing. And then post game, same thing. He has no answer for us, like literally no answer. My man just went blind on the play stole that moment just in show hindsight. up at his house and, and just you know ask for an explanation just one day's we talk hey, <laughs> mr koulibaly <laughs> we gotta talk just give me something give yeah. me something <laughs> give me something but in hindsight you know what the controversy that surrounded that also kind of brought a lot of attention a lot a lot of eyes on our team and obviously i would have rather had the goal um yeah. but in its own way <laughs> it kind of in its own way it kind of manifested itself and made the way the rest of that group played out, like Landon's goal, that much more special too. Okay, that's what I want to talk about is we all experienced it afar and watching it on TV, but you were there in real time. What was that experience like and, and what was going through your mind? So I started that game um, and we were, it was nil-nil and I got subbed out. And I remember, so I was playing more like a number six in that game. And so obviously they brought me out, put in a little bit more tactic-minded players. I think, I think Benny came on maybe. So obviously a focus more on trying to get a goal, but still, you still always have that feeling of like, like, I can't, there's no, I'm literally, my hands are tied now. I literally can't impact the game whatsoever. So I'm on the sideline anxious, just like everybody else, like watching, watching and also watching the clock. Like, bro, we're about to go home. Like, this is crazy. This is not how we drew this script up. We're supposed to, we were supposed to advance from this group. We felt confident. And, and then that play happens. Uh, I think so. I think they took a shot or a cross and Tim catches it, throws it out to Landon. I don't know how Landon had the legs to run like that at that point in the game, but to be fair to him, I don't know how any of them had the legs to run like that at that point in the game, but everyone's on a sprint. Landon's going, Josie makes, goes, uh, makes a run out wide, crosses in the box. And at this point, so as the play's developing, as Landon's making that run, we're all kind of like off our, off the bench at this point, like on our feet, like, wait, what's, what's happening? What's happening? And then Josie goes wide, plays it to him. We're up at this point. We're sort of like etching down the pitch <laughs> like on the sidelines. So I getting closer and closer comes across for a shot. Keeper saves it. Landon's there, taps it in. And then it's just a sprint to the corner flag. Everyone's on a, on a dead sprint to the corner flag. I mean, the, the, the excitement, the emotion, the the change of emotions from feeling like oh my god I can't believe we're about to go home this is crazy to like yeah we we just won the group and I remember uh, well actually I don't remember but looking back at videos of it I was closer to the one of the first in the uh, huddle or whatever and Josie came at the end 
this man decides to do like a like this big old frog splash <laughs> land on top of the on top of the pile. Good thing but, it wasn't no. Josie today, right? Oh my god, Jesus, man! Yeah, I, was... I, I I literally have butterflies listening to that story. Oh, cool. But yeah. uh, one thing, I'll and I never... remember talking to you after yeah, the game. Well, that that's the thing. That's one thing I'll never forget. I'm I'm at home. I'm watching the game. I'm I'm so happy. I'm jumping around. You know, obviously, I, I wish I was there. But, um, you know, you and Josie called me from the locker room um, after winning that match. I hear all the cheering and yelling, uh, you know, just just uh, what that meant to me. You know, um, something I'll never forget. Uh, what what was that moment like for you? The So, yeah, it was, like I said, Charlie been my brother since, man, McDonald's All-American days, which is this i'm showing my age right now dating all three of us there you know but um so i was we were kind of in reverse positions because when they were at confederations cup i was out injured and i was sitting there watching from afar like man i wish i was there being a part of that and enjoying that success as they made their run to the final and i couldn't have been happier because you know the guys who were still in the show and getting the headlines himself and josie two of my closest friends so i was sense of incredible pride right and then when charlie had his accident we were all sitting there hoping and praying that he was going to make it back in time make it back to being you know to fitness and to be to be a part of that group and go to the world cup um from a from a i think from a personal reason because we all have personal relationships with him but then also from a sporting reason because we thought charlie was a big part of our team at that point charlie was him and josie that tandem up top was crazy um, but obviously more so, I think from a personal level, just knowing him and wanting him to enjoy it, to be a part of that success or hopeful success. So when that moment happened, of course, we knew, like, we knew that Charlie would have been watching one, but two, like, uh, that just, it was in our heads, like, yo, we got to call Charlie. We got to just call Charlie and, and enjoy this moment with him because he should be here right now. And so, yeah, it was, we call it that ran up my my international minutes <laughs> but it was well worth it man made that call to my brother and we had a chance to kind of just enjoy that moment together um from afar but still enjoy that moment together and it was mm-hmm. it was special this is the first time i'm hearing about this and as just an outsider i knew, I knew you guys were close friends and I, i've known that but um it's pretty cool to see how sport is really important, but who the people are in sports is the most important thing, right? And your guys' relationship, it seems like you as a team were playing a little bit with Charlie as just an uh, incentive to uh, continue to have that success because he was there in spirit, even though he wasn't there, right? He was, you know, Charlie, you, you know, Charlie well, and Charlie's a big personality, right? So, and Charlie... <laughs> I don't like telling him this because I don't want him to get a big head, but you know, a lot of Charlie's story is, is inspiration for me. The things that he's overcome um, both on and off the pitch. I always, I do tell him this and I don't like to, but I do tell him, you know, like he's probably one of the strongest people I know from that, from that standpoint, you know, like, and so when I'm having my moments, he's a good reflection point. Like, keeping things in perspective, whatever, if you have in a day and what, I don't know, let's say, I can't even think of anything anything stupid or minuscule right now, but I think having someone close to you who's been through so much and you've watched and you've witnessed them and their strength and their ability to overcome the craziest obstacles, I think it's just inspiration for you to say, there's nothing that I go through on a day-to-day basis that compares to what he's been through. And 
I think that just kind of helps to keep my reshape my thinking um, and motivate me to go on and continue as I strive to do different things. Yeah. What am I supposed to say after that? I didn't, didn't want to get all, I didn't want to get all sappy and like you know all that, but I'm just hey, this <laughs> well, is I, I, just facts. I am sappy, and uh, it, it hit me. It hit me hard. Um, Cause I, I know you don't like to tell me those things. So uh, <laughs> the fact that it's coming out, um, it, it, it hits me hard. Um, and that's why I always consider you as, as family. So um, looking back at just the national team, what do you miss most about that experience? And, and, you know, you see the current group, do you see a similarity between that 2010 group, how we were like really a family to now this, this young group who's kind of growing, going through it together? I, I do. I do because, um, what I, when I look at this group, there's so many guys and just knowing some of them, you know, fairly well, and then just seeing some of them from afar. Uh, and I think the, of course, social media, all it, the, the, the size of social media today and the impact on just like everyday life nowadays kind of gives you somewhat of a glimpse and just seeing how close they seem to be, um, especially some of them playing their trades most of them playing their trades in, in Europe and having a chance to be close to each other and experience certain things, go through some similarities in terms of growing pains or difficulties. I think, and especially some of them that have played together at youth ages, like Weston, Christian, Tyler, they all play together at youth at the youth level, right? So there's that there's that growth that they're doing together simultaneously, you know, picking one another up and and going through the steps of the cycle at the, at the same path, um, along the same path. And at the same time, I think there's a beauty to that. And I also think that one thing that I used to say when this team first kind of graduated to the national team, to the full team was that it, the challenge for them was that they're graduating to the full team. And they don't really have many older guys to say like, Hey, this is what it's supposed to be like. There wasn't that real transition. They had to just learn from experience and learn to fly. Well, they now have a couple of years under their belt. And I think they're in a better position now because this is their team. This is their team. They have guys who have now stepped up and have the personalities that have the leadership responsibilities, the guys who, I mean, they're all very well equipped in terms of playing ability, but I think they are, I think there already is that special bond between them and the guys who, some of the younger guys that are coming, that are going to come into the fold are being brought in and welcomed and, and, and accepted and respected. So I'm really, I keep saying, I want to be a little bit, calm and collected and let them just do what they're going to do. But I'm excited by this young group of players, man, yeah. because I'm with you. Not only do I think there's talent. I also think that this is a group that's going to like be exciting both on and off the pitch. I think that there's some personalities within this group that fans are going to gravitate towards. Mm -hmm. I think there's going to be some pretty, you know, fun celebrations and just a lot of good storylines that are going to come out of this group as well. Yeah. And we're going to continue to hear your and Charlie's opinions about this team. As we hear you guys talk about these games and, cover these games, not only in Olympics and in World Cup. I already know it. So we're going to hear more about those players going forward. Um, we've got a couple more things for you, Mo. But before we ask those, I got to have a Charlie story. You got to give me something. <laughs> give me oh, something Charlie's here. Charlie's story is easy. Okay, I got a good one for you. Uh, oh, <laughs> so Charlie, Charlie's the kind of person, Charlie, how should I say this? <laughs> I'll just go straight into the story. I won't give you any like. Any, okay, I won't yeah. preface it at all. So we're down in, this is the Olympic team. We're down in Bradenton, Florida. 
Charlie, oh, likes he, already to, knows. Charlie, Charlie likes, he likes to celebrate when he scores goals, right? Like we yeah, all do. Stanky leg, right? Whatever. Yeah. Stanky leg, whatever it is, some kind of dance celebration doesn't really matter, but you normally do it when there's, when you're in a stadium, like that's crazy. Like you do it in front of a big crowd, everyone celebrates and you're just sitting there doing your thing. The crowd applauds and you know, your teammates might join in whatever that looks like. We're in Bradenton, Florida. Um, uh, it's a scrimmage game. We might be playing against maybe the U-17s. This is with the Olympic team. We might be playing against the U-17s or something. I don't even know what age group it is, but yeah, it's it was U-17s. just a game. So U-17s, okay. So it's just yeah. a game so we can get some minutes and get us ready. I think we were getting ready to go to China. This is the year before the Olympics. So we're playing the game. It's probably maybe 3-0 or something at that point. The game's out of reach. Charlie scores a goal. So I'm sorry. Let me just give you this a little bit. So three goals that were scored before. We score the goals, high five, whatever. We get back. We just yeah. jog back because it's scrimmage game. It's not that important. <laughs> Charlie scores a goal. What is Charlie? And by uh, last bit of preface information, there's nobody on the sidelines. It's just our team, their team, the administrators, the coaches, and that's it. There's no fans. Maybe like maybe five parents have come to watch like their U17 kids play. That's it. Mm-hmm. Charlie scores a goal. What does Charlie do? Charlie runs to the sideline. I don't remember you remember that song, Pop Lock and Drop It. Oh yeah, <laughs> Charlie does that. <laughs> <laughs> All oh, right. See, he's gosh. a defender. Okay. Do if, we need a? I what think we, we love to do when this. we score goals, no matter if it's in the backyard, no matter There's if it's a, in a scrimmage, maybe, it doesn't maybe matter. Maybe fans. I'm gonna pull out <laughs> a pop, lock, and drop it. I'm gonna pull out a dance, and so at yeah. that point, you know, you you're playing against little cocky seventeen year olds who need to be taught a lesson. So I score. I, said, I celebrate, this, man. Um, yeah. But yeah, see, that, that's just, <laughs> oh my God. That, that that was just kind of like that's that a good was, one. That was yeah, that's that was, a good one. That one lasted for a long time. The the pop lock and drop <laughs> it. Um, but Mo, there was no fans. Zero. It doesn't matter. <laughs> hey, did you enjoy it? You enjoyed the I show. I was crying. Yeah, I was crying. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, you you talked about um, you know, being someone uh, who who is could use me as as motivation inspiration, but uh, you know there's not too many people who, who can handle the adversity that you faced when it came to dealing with an injury, um, you know, a tibia injury that, that, you know, caused you a ton of pain and you're trying to go out there and battle and, and kind of finish your career the way you always envisioned while at the same time, um, you know, losing your father. So, um, you know, you're someone that I've always, uh, you know, was proud of to have a friend, uh, someone that, and you're, you're a kind of guy that internalizes it all. You don't let it show that it's bothering you, what's affecting you. You never uh, are one that is going to complain about anything. So um, can you tell, tell us kind of how you were able to get through that tough time and, and uh, you know, what, what moved you um, to, to be able to battle that adversity and come out uh, better for it on the other side? Yeah, in all honesty, I I don't know. Um, he, me and my me and my father were super close. Like he's the one that introduced this sport to me, and you know he had the same name. So we throughout my whole childhood, all my travels, pretty much every team I played on, he was one of my coaches. Um, so all my travels, it was always Big Mo, Little Mo, and that's how we were just kind of known. We were if you saw me, you saw him. If you saw him, you saw me, uh, and. He got sick my senior year of high school. So when I was trying to decide colleges, it was like, do I stay home and be close to home or do I go away from home? And that was a hard decision in itself, just trying to figure out what made the most sense for myself, my family and everybody. And ultimately just conversations with my family, they were like, look, you you know your dad, he would 
want you to do what makes the most sense for you from the playing standpoint. Soccer was important to him as it was to me. So that's how I chose to go to Maryland. So now fast forward um, with, with his passing, it, the timing, yeah, it couldn't have been worse. It just piled on even more onto my plate because as you said, Charlie, I'm trying to navigate and figure out, am I going to be able to keep playing? How do I get through this injury? And in all honesty, I just had to have a couple moments to myself. Um, you're right. I don't, I don't let much show even like with my family when it comes to certain things like, like that. I, I, it, I had to deal with it on my own first and foremost before I was even able to be like a real supportive or be a crutch for my family. And then me being the oldest man in my family, I had to start assuming more responsibility as well. Like I had to step up and make sure that I was there and I was supportive. And, uh, and to a certain extent, I had to put what I was going through personally and how I was handling it to the side and really just try to make sure that I was there and supportive for my sisters, for my brother, for my mom, as they were dealing with things and handling things. But I don't know if I think there's not a day that goes by where, you know, I'm not reminded of him or I don't try to make sure that I make him proud. You know, being a father now, I try to, that's always in the back of my mind. All the things that I learned from him, all the, the relationship that I had with him, I want to make sure that I have that with my son as well. And so I, I keep his memory alive. And I think that's probably the best way that I'm able to deal with things is just to continue to, instead of hiding from it or trying to, I don't know, bury it. I, you know, we talk about him a lot. We joke about, we talk, we, we talk about some of the, the good times that he and I experienced or, or whether it's from a sporting standpoint or just him off the field, he was a crazy personality. You, you know, my dad, he's a crazy personality. So I, I think, I think by just really trying to be the father he was to me, I try to be that for my son now. And I think that's the best way that I can continue to honor him and, and handle things. Yeah. I never met him. He sounds wonderful. And, but I can assure you, he's proud of you. 100%. I appreciate that. Very proud of you. Um, it's been so fun talking to you, Mo. We've, we have dug in a lot. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for giving <laughs> us so much of your time, but like, don't think you're getting off easy. We yeah. can't let him go yet, Charlie. No, it's not. I mean, <laughs> I mean, but the thing is he's sitting in a hundred degree uh, room right now. So oh yeah, he likes it hot. <laughs> yeah, He likes it hot. I mean, he, he's, he's always hot. So, uh, <laughs> you, you welcomed, you, you welcome. You can thank us for introducing you to the hot seat. Um, uh, welcome to, to the U S soccer podcast, hot seat. Uh, I'm confident in your abilities. So, you know, we're going to start off with, I know you're a sneakerhead. You're one of the top sneakerheads I've ever come across. You can only one, wear one pair of sneakers for the rest of your life. Which pair are you going with? I'm going to go with the pair that I don't have, Red Octobers. So the Nike Red Octobers that Kanye West are called the Yeezys. Do we need to repeat that um, yeah. one more time? The Kanye West Nike Red October Yeezys. Uh, you, you might <laughs> maybe call Michael Bradley because I know he's got a pair. Maybe he can hook you oh, up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Does he really? He, yeah, Michael Bradley has a pair. Don't tell me you didn't know that. I didn't His know face, that. He was so what? mad. Uh, you were so mad. Yeah, Michael Bradley has a pair. Yeah. Oh, I do got to call him. The most coveted shoe, I think. Probably of all time, to be honest, oh that I can think of. The Red Octobers, Michael Bradley rocks them. And he rocks them yeah. like they're just regular uh, running shoes. 
some like converse. <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe that's his only pair he's going to have for the rest of his oh, life too. So God. he has to wear them all the yeah. time. There you go. <laughs> uh, best jealous. stadium you've ever played in. Ooh, ooh. Rangers fans are going to be calling for me to say Ibrox. Yeah, um, this is going to... Uh, Old Trapper was crazy. Old Trapper was fun. And I think... No, just leave it at that. Old Trafford. That, you don't need to say no more. That, After I brought Old Trafford. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Favorite fashion trend of all time? Trend? Yep. Man, I'm, I'm going to say, <laughs> hey, I don't care. It looks crazy now, and, I'm, and I wouldn't be rocking it now. But back in my high school days when, like, the big tall tees were in and so yep, were, in my yeah. white tee. Durag, yeah, Durag in the headband. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say, "What were those jeans? Those like giant jeans?" The Jenko, Jenko, the Jenko, Jenko yes. jeans. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Probably had about forty uh, pairs of those. I did have a couple. I'm not gonna lie. I did have a couple of those. Name one thing you've learned the hard way. Oh, that's a that. Oh. Maybe penalties. Oh, <laughs> I, was stubborn in, I was stubborn in my ways and thought like, nah, I don't really need it. I'm just going to go the same side all the time. And then Open Cup Final. And it's so Open Cup Final, uh, the week before, you know, you train penalties because there's a possibility. And I remember our, our assistant coach, Mike Sorbo, was like, Mo, you know, you've taken all your penalties and gone the same way. Maybe you should think about changing it up. And I was like, nah. So when we took a couple in training, I had to change it up or whatever. But when the game came and we actually went to penalty kicks, I was like, oh, this is the way, this is the way I've been going. Like, I'm going to psych the keeper out. He's going to think that I'm changing. I'm going to go the same way. Nah, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't think I was going a different way. <laughs> Saved it. Fortunately, or not fortunately, we missed a couple others and we ended up losing that game. So, mm. yeah, learned that the hard way. Who do you admire the most? Um... I would say I think I'm inspired the most by my family and motivated the most by my family. Um, my son makes me want to be, you know, a whole different person and a better person. I think it kind of goes back to the first, one of the first segments we talked about with the racial and the social justice and stuff like that. Like seeing him every day and watching him every day, it, it automatically forces me and makes me want to be just a better person and do right by him at all costs. Yeah. What's your favorite holiday? My birthday. <laughs> that's of course. That, that's a no, favorite holiday. I mean, I don't, I think all the other like minor holiday, I don't want to say minor, but Christmas, I think is the best is my favorite holiday family seeing you know, my nephews. And Go ahead and say my presents. Friend. Yeah, presents. I'm saying seeing my nephews and my, and my now I said, like, unwrap yeah. presents and how happy they yeah. are about that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 10 years down the road, Moadu will be doing? Moadu will be a mogul. He will, you know, be in different spaces, um, still attached to soccer, to, to the sport, but, you know, have different components in the soccer world as well as in the business world. Mogul Mo. Cool. Okay. Mogul Mo. <laughs> there we go. That's the name of the, the organization. Best vacation you've ever taken. I haven't been on a vacation in a while, honestly. The last <laughs> okay, one I went on you, was Puerto Vallarta. Where do you want to go? 
I mean, uh, he's the one of Turks go. and Caicos. I'll tell you that right yeah, now. Yeah, Charlie's been Charlie's been harping on that for a while. Uh, I would just man, I can't say where I want to go. There's a list, but the last one I went on was to uh, Puerto Vallarta, and it was incredible. Yeah, U.S. men's national team player with the best banter. Current player or nope? Your in teammate your, ever in your time in your mind? Can I say myself? No, you cannot say yourself. Yes, no, oh. I can't. You cannot say yourself. Uh, <laughs> Best banter. Charlie's over here. He's politicking, hoping that I'm saying him. Oh, stop I'm, it. I'm, say, not, I'm not politicking anything. I'm he highlighted say, it and said, Jordan, let me ask this question. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. I'm, I'm going to say, uh, oh, best banter. There's a, there's a handful that I could throw in the mix. This one's going to sound, this is probably, this would have never been your guess, probably, but Clint's banter, like, if you know Clint, and you actually interact with him, he's he's kind of funny with it. I don't know. Clint, but I Clint think- Dempsey is the, the man who has the best banter in U.S. Men's National Team history in your mind? You done lost Over your Charlie mind. Davies. Over you just, Charlie Davies for sure. I knew you were going to do – you would have said anybody instead of me. You would have said, <laughs> you would have said uh, Brad Guzan or Jonathan Spector. You would have said – anybody that's what i said can i give you can i give you a couple names man no if i give you a couple names uh stew's got decent banter charlie's got decent banter josie's got decent banter um b's got decent banter no these are all unacceptable this is unacceptable i I, so who who would you say charlie huh huh who would you say i would say at the moment Stu holden gets best banter if I have to go with somebody, did I not? Did I not say oh, yeah. Sue? No, you said you just, Clint Dempsey. I literally just you I, said Clint Dempsey. Yeah. I said Clint I know you just did that to get me mad. You did that yeah, just to course. get me mad. But okay. when I when I just when I just asked you if I could say a few different names, Stu was the first name I said. Yeah, yeah, he's he's up there. Yeah, that's just because Stu don't stop talking. I know Stu will sit here and talk to a blank screen yeah. for half also an hour. Also true. Also true. <laughs> Um, guys, you guys could keep talking about this forever, I think. Um, but this has been so much fun. Mo, thank you for being so generous with your time for really digging into some, um, important and some really cool topics and yeah, we can't thank you enough. No, I appreciate it. It's been fun. Um, thank you guys. You think he wasn't going to take the time to to step away from a one-year-old who who just learned (laughs) how to walk and run around everywhere. His back is sore. He he said, thank you for this break. Thank you for this podcast. Um, Max. (laughs) <laughs> you know i love you bro thank you for joining yes, us sir. of course of course man thank you guys all right charlie that was an awesome chat with your pal mo what what are you taking away from that just what an incredible character he has you know he was a, a wonderful teammate i mean i think we never got to see uh mo at his full potential he, he was a player at, at the olympics we said he can be the next like great Eddie Pope. He could be, you know, the next biggest center back for the U.S. men's national team. Um, but he always had his heart, uh, you know, at, at being a midfielder. And you know that the midfield position is just filled with with talented guys, right? And it's also yeah, really fun. It, it is, you know. But um, <laughs> I think long term, he would have been, uh, he could have been the best uh, center back to ever play uh, for the U.S. Mm. men's national team. So. Um, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for his friendship. He's, he's one of the guys that, that I would do anything for. We have a lot of similarities, you know, African parents, um, you know, playing the game for so long, going through, you know, adversity. So 
uh, he's he's just a wonderful wonderful uh, guy, and and you know he's he's playing Champions League. You know, yeah, uh, one of those guys that uh, I don't think he'll ever get the credit he deserves. Yeah, well, I hope people listening to that really remember what a great player he was. And my takeaway, really, uh, he's a great storyteller. Very. And I'm never going to listen to Pop Lock and Drop It the same ever again in my life. <laughs> also true. Uh, and the dance yeah. is contagious once you hit it, too. Oh, oh, I can only imagine. Um, but that's it. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of the U.S. Soccer Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, download, rate, review, and tell all your soccer tell your pals. Friends. Yeah, tell your friends. Let's go. Um, really enjoyed it. Uh, thank you for listening again. We'll talk to you next week. Until then, see ya.